The following is a podcast from Bell and Rand Entertainment. Hello, it's Craig Thompson, and this is the Stratford Slice. So besides books, what's the most important thing you need on your bookshelf? We're going to find out the answer today on our podcast, The Stratford Slice. So the question was, what's the most important thing you need on your bookshelf? If you answered CDs, you're partly right. What you really need is bookends to keep all your books neat and tidy all together. And we've got a full set of bookends here in the studio today, the amazing Celtic instrumentalists, the bookends from Stratford. It's great to have all four of you in the studio today. Kate Watson, Pete Watson, Errol Fisher, Miriam Fisher. Welcome to the Stratford Slice. Great to have you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, awesome. yeah, thanks, Kurt. So let's s- go on the book theme. Uh, one way of getting to know people is about what they like to read. So start with you, Kate, on my left here. What do you have on your bookshelf? Uh, way too much fantasy fiction and Jane Austen's that I read annually. Pete? Oh, I, we have extensive bookshelves at home, and so it can range everything from you know, first editions of like Gulliver's Travels, which we have through to, you know, modern nonfiction and, uh, and everything in between. I, I, I belong to a book club and I like to read nonfiction to that book club, so. Excellent, Errol. Uh, Miriam got me a great book for Christmas called How to Grow Mushrooms. So I'm kind of going down the rabbit hole of mushroom cultivation at the moment. Not magic mushrooms. No, no, just <laughs> the, the <laughs> edible fancy oyster kind, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> Miriam. Yeah, the, I like classic, classic literature. Lots of Dickens and all that. And then we have a whole bookshelves of permaculture and farming books. And right. Yeah. So who's going to tell me the story of how the bookends got uh, the name and how you uh, four of you got together? Well, those are actually kind of <laughs> two different stories, really. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Where, which one would you like Yeah, the, the story of how we got together, um, I, I guess I'll tell that yeah, one. And then maybe then, Pete yeah. can tell the story about how we got the name. Sure. Um, so Miriam and I are originally from Alberta, and uh, and Pete and Kate are obviously, um, you know, Stratford, uh, as local as local gets here in in this Pete town is for sure. Yeah, yeah. both, both yeah. from Ontario and, and, and that. Pete yeah. obviously from Toronto, mm-hmm. and but they'd been living here for for a fair while, and and uh, so I we moved out here for work, and we packed up the kids and and our our lives and the cat and everything else in the <laughs> truck and. And we drove uh, all the way from Alberta out, it took us four days, and we, we got out here, and, and uh, I was staying in a, a, a house that my boss owned, and, uh, and so, you know, she had said, oh, there's some lovely folks out here, and, and we hope you'll meet some great folks, and so anyways, Miriam and I, we pulled up with the truck to the place, and, uh, and uh, Pete and Kate came over with the box of Rio Thompson chocolates, you, gotta do you know. That, right? <laughs> that's, that's the introduction to Stratford. It, it sure was, <laughs> and uh, so we're like, oh, they're, they're really nice folks, and, you know, they turns out you know they have two kids and and same age as ours and we're like well that's pretty perfect and uh and so anyways uh you know Miriam and I had been playing music Celtic music out in Alberta for for, for quite a while and and uh so anyways we got out and you know it'd been a really stressful time uh you know just getting everything loaded up and putting your whole life in a box and driving across the country and so as we were unloading the truck one night I could hear this whistle and I'm like that's really weird. And so I'm starting to wonder if I'm losing my mind at this point. And, uh, and so I just kind of didn't think much of it. And then the next night, you know, working away at the house, you know, unpacking things and I could hear the whistle again. 
and I'm like, okay, I'm really starting to either, either there's a whistle around here or I'm losing it. And so I decided I would go echolocate the whistle. <laughs> so down the end of the, the driveway I went and, and I could hear it and I, I went one day, one way down the block and it got a little quieter and I'm like, oh, okay, so maybe it's the other way. I went down the other way down the block, it got a little quieter. I'm like, well, maybe it's the next street over. I checked there and I'm like, no, it, it, it is literally coming from across the street from our house. And I'm, I'm like, okay, well, I keep following. It's getting louder and louder. And I'm walking down Pete and Kate's driveway and I'm like, it's getting louder. And, <laughs> and uh, so anyways, lo and behold, I pop my head over the back fence and there's Pete and Kate <laughs> playing some tunes on their back porch, just in a beautiful, you know, well, fall if, day. And, if I can interject, <laughs> cause I always like to interject at this moment. It's sure? like Earl shows up and he's like got his hands on his hips going like, this is where the whistle's coming from. Like, he sounds kind of angry, right? And so we're like, okay, or are we disturbing Oh, another annoying neighbor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like, are we disturbing you? It's like, are you kidding? I'm going to go get my wife, Miriam. I'm going to get my fiddle. We're coming over. We're playing some tunes. And and that's kind of how the band started. Yeah, and you know, that is the story. Yeah, we, we, we kind of played a few tunes. And then, uh, yeah, you know, we were coming into winter, so it worked out really nicely mm -hmm. with being across the street. And we just kind of made a make a regular thing of it and played lots of yeah, tunes. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. with the kids. I mean, the kids, everybody came, became, you know, great friends really quickly. And so the kids played together, uh, you know, the band, you know, that we were playing together every weekend. We'd share meals together. Um, and, you know, we never really set out to be a band. We were really just playing music together. And so it was, uh, and we just explored all this music together. So, I mean, Earl's been playing Celtic music since he was a kid. Um, and Miriam had lots of exposure back in Calgary as well, but it was kind of new to Kate and I. We were exploring this, and so we, we just looked into all this music together and really mined the depths of, uh, of various different types of tune books. But to answer your question about how did we end up getting the name, so if I can segue off of what Errol was just saying there, is that um, some many months later, his boss had actually asked us to do some uh, some playing, and uh, and so we we played with we played with her and some other musicians over at Falstaff, and then we did something for her in London. And I ran into her one day at the coffee shop, Balzac's downtown, like everybody does, and uh, and she looks at me and she and she goes, so, you know, you guys, that's a that's a band, that's a great band, right? And she goes, you guys have got to play more stuff, you know, because you're the whole family's you're you're like a couple of bookends. And so she said this to me in passing. I don't even know that. I don't even know that she remembers. Yeah, no, actually. probably not. Yeah. No, no. And so it's like, but but it but, stuck with us. But it stuck, <laughs> and we were, well, we were kind of into that moment. Now we're like, hey, maybe we got something here, and we should take this a little bit further and see how it evolves. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, well, that seemed when we threw all the other names out there, and we had a few others as yeah. well. That was kind of the one that. Uh, that really stuck and we just thought that's a funny name because you got the two dads the two moms the two daughters and the two sons we just don't have the cat but you know <laughs> we probably got a few mice in our house so it's like you yeah. know it balances out <laughs> well we should point out that the boss is actually Lorena McKennett who is a pretty fine musician in her in her own right Absolutely. so Not bad. having her blessing is, is <laughs> amazing and you've just come off a, a, a Christmas tour uh, with her tell us about that that's uh, you know uh, a very interesting uh, uh, tour that you were on yeah, I mean, well, this started as a as a, a project that um, Lorena had approached us about, uh, sort of in the depths of, of COVID lockdown. Well, just coming out of the depths of COVID lockdown, and things were a little bit sensitive still last December, but we'd all had a bit of cabin fever, and she was looking for a way to lift spirits again. And so we we did this as a, a project, uh, a series of live concerts last December. Uh, and this year she was excited to try it again and take it farther afield and asked if we would participate again. And so we did a number of dates and touring around some unique locations. When we were performing in Stratford, we played um, at Copper Light at the previous Knox Church. Uh, and her project too included looking at these spaces that are trying to reinvigorate themselves and continue to offer 
uh, more opportunities for performing artists. And so in Hamilton uh, and in Guelph and a number of other locations, we were playing in church spaces that are in the midst of, of trying to reinvigorate themselves in that way. So it was a really beautiful part of that experience. And the music just gives everyone sort of a, a warm and comfortable community feeling about the whole, the whole thing. Yeah, I, the one thing I might add to that, I mean, it's, it's a long way from what the bookends do. I mean, the bookends is the four of us. Uh, this was something where we're sort of, you know, supporting Lorena, um, and it wasn't complete band. It was three out of four of us, and so you know, it's something where we're playing Lorena's tunes. But it was a, a great joy to be able to be a part of it. Um, you know, maybe it, maybe we'll get to do it again in the future, and maybe all four of us can do it next time. And so it was really, uh, it was really a great experience. Definitely, you learn a lot playing with someone like Lorena. She's an absolute pro, and she's got it. She's got it worked out, and she has a fabulous production manager <laughs> <laughs> named Errol. Yeah, <laughs> a man of many hats, musician, yeah. roadie, production manager, everything. Right? Well, you know, you have to diversify in this business, right? <laughs> yeah. I call him the Mad Hatter. Because of the hats he wears. Yeah, well, to see him in action is is inspiring. Actually. And you're also a stonemason. That's amazing. Uh, uh, yeah, I am. I, I, I when, when we had the kids. I was touring a lot as a tour manager and production manager and, and stuff, and and that just doesn't necessarily mesh <laughs> with young children. And so uh, I came off the road for a little while, and and I had had a passion for building things out of rocks. Um, my dad had bought a what is a very old house in Calgary, but by Stratford standards would be you know new basically. It was built that. in 1893, uh, and so it's it's one of the first houses out in in Calgary. But we had stripped it down and. Anyways, I got and built a set of stairs on the front of the place, and, and I developed a love of, of masonry from there. And then once we had the kids, I started a masonry company, and it grew and it grew and it grew. And, and uh, so that was kind of where I was before I left off to come out here. So, Well, where, where my family comes from in Northern Ireland, there's a lot of rocks and yes. a lot of stonemasons. So I'm thinking that <laughs> being a stonemason, there is a connection to the Celtic it uh, goes, tradition. Yeah, it goes together. It's it's actually surprising how many masons are musicians and, and uh, you know, a lot of whistle players and stuff because you can play a few tunes while you're having a break and, that, uh, and that kind of thing. And, and, and there's something about the artistry of the two things that tie together. You're building something. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Whether it's music or, or, or dry stack walls. Yeah. Well, I've known the four of you uh, off and on for a number of years, but really I only became familiar with the bookends during the pandemic because you were doing something very interesting during the pandemic. Who wants to tell us the story about how we uh, got to know your music a bit better during the pandemic? Sure. Well, yeah, we had um, we had a big CD release party planned for our first album and uh, we were really looking forward to celebrating with everyone and then of course the world locked down and so we were kind of trying to decide how how we wanted to proceed and if we should proceed and what this should look like and Kate had a great idea to to uh, to hand deliver our album to any locals that bought the album so we had quite a f quite a number of of deliveries that we got to make. We got to know Stratford really well, especially us two, not yeah. having been familiar with the town as much before. I got to know all the streets. Yeah, we, it was called Local Love. That's so, right. Yeah. So yeah. if you ordered a record, we go and play for you. And of course it was like right at the beginning of the distancing and everything else. And, and so we would play on the sidewalk in front of <laughs> people's houses. And then the neighbors would take video and all of this kind of found its way on the internet. And uh, and actually we, we thought at that point, you know, let's put the kids to work. <laughs> We've all got old phones <laughs> laying around. They need something to do because they would come with us, right? Um, and so they'd be hanging out in the van and we're like, well, let's give them a job. And so we gave all the kids phones and we said, shoot whatever you want. 
And uh, we went around and did a weekend and we shot all the video and, uh, and then we kind of collated it all together and, uh, and it actually kind of took off on social media which was kind of unexpected. We were just going around to bring a bit of joy to people's lives. Yeah. Brought us a lot of joy too. It was yeah, really nice sure. to see everybody smiling faces, even from a distance. Yeah, and, and anybody that danced always got more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tunes. yeah they get an extra tune. Yeah, but it exactly. Was, it, yeah, as Miriam said, it was a really, actually, lovely experience. And yeah, just getting to explore more areas in the city, but also to get to meet a lot of our neighbors. And and it brought it was something in the pandemic that was actually really amazing for us. And had we not had the pandemic, we'd have never done that. We'd have had a release party somewhere. Down downtown and just that would have been that just like mm -hmm. you always do and um, because of that it made us think creatively or Kate to think creatively to come up with an idea that actually got us out there playing but also brought people something when we didn't know what was going to happen next and you know well it go. changed a lot the pandemic and uh, mm -hmm. you performed in my parents backyard <laughs> for did, their did, wedding yes. anniversary <laughs> in right. July <laughs> of 2020 that's right, it feels like that's uh, right. a century ago but yeah <laughs> yeah well I mean as Miriam alluded to I mean I think we did I mean we've never actually counted it up but I, I think I mean over that summer I mean we did like 125 150 I mean it just felt we just every weekend we'd go out some weekends we'd do you know 10 12 stops just in one day and then and then we also started to do backyard concerts as well mm -hmm. that kind of became a thing during yeah. the pandemic and so we did quite a lot of those where we might play for half an hour or, and we all well we even did a thing with a local restaurant with the Bry house where if you ordered some food we also were on the menu <laughs> and so you could the order the band the and so <laughs> i think that's what we did i think because yeah. we had that's a what meal. you guys did that's yeah we right. had a meal yeah. with the performance in yeah. the backyard we had the ribs and chicken or something like that yeah we really, just did really that good. for like a month i would say like was that like june or july yeah, yeah. a couple months yeah i think it was Everybody was trying to shift to see, well, how do we make money, you know, yeah, make some in this new environment? How do we support local businesses mm -hmm, with yeah. what we do? So we thought, yeah, so when teamed they launched, up with the yeah, So when they launched the bribe through, we, we played in the, right, the first time we played in the parking lot to keep folks entertained while they were waiting. And then we had said, you know, put us on the menu. We'll go, you have your dinner and we'll come and play you some tunes. It, so. it was a crazy experience, too. Oh, like as a musician, really being in somebody's backyard, they're having this great dinner and there's there's as many people in the band, sometimes more, as there <laughs> as is there in the audience, yeah, right? Exactly. Which is, uh, Oh, but know. it was lovely because we'd stop and have these conversations with yeah. them and, and yeah. you know, we'd learn about them and, you know, we'd tell them a bit of the history of the music and it was, it was very personal. It was, it was, I mean, it was the most intimate and most interactive intimate. ever. Yeah, right. You must have made a lot of friends uh, being these wandering minstrels. That's you know? us. Yeah, that is us. Yeah. Well, even logistically, it was fun to be like, okay, they're going to be eating now. The food's going to come here <laughs> then, and we're going to show up then. And then we have to be off to the next person because they're well, going to get... Do you remember when we first started talking about it, we actually thought about, well, we could deliver their food, right? And they were like, no, that's, no, that's, that's way too complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, they can pick up their food and we'll show up at some point Can I have afterwards. a drink, please? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Let me stop the music. Yeah. And, uh, and give you a beer or something. Yeah, how are your first bites tasting? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you thought as a musician you just had to be able to play your instrument. The skill set is way broader than that. <laughs> well, one of the reasons that we're doing this podcast now is because a year ago or so you performed with the Stratford Symphony Orchestra at their annual Robbie Burns timed uh, Celtic concert. And uh, the result was uh, a Celtic celebration with the bookends, and uh, it's resulted in a a uh, new CD, CD that's uh, coming out soon. So tell us about that's that true. project. And we have a couple of uh, tunes. We'll play one now and one a little bit later from the CD. Sure. But uh, tell us about that project working with the symphony, because that's quite a jump from being four <laughs> independent musicians <laughs> playing in a backyard to playing with a 60-piece orchestra. Uh -huh. So uh, I'll take that one. And uh, it basically what happened was during, again, during the pandemic, um, I'm trying to think of the real timeline here, but we did end up doing a Cows and Classics 
forward the symphony uh, the year before mm -hmm. in 2021. So that was um, out in the farm just outside of town. And they did that as a virtual Cows and Classics. And Cows and Classics, for people who don't know, is their annual fund fundraising gala. Usually there's hundreds of people there, but of course, pandemic being that it is, you guys were there and you filmed it. And so we did that and it was that was a lot of fun. And so that kind of got us introduced to them, I think a little bit more. I know Errol had had some contact with them prior to that. And there'd been some conversations about how could we do something together and that they do have this annual Celtic concert that they do usually at Robbie Burns, which is January 25th every year. And then because, again, of the pandemic and lockdowns and all that, that was originally scheduled for us for January 25th-ish. Um, and then it got pushed to June. Um, and luckily, we weren't in any lockdowns of June 2022. And we were able to uh, coordinate with uh, a gentleman named Jeff Wolpert, who is a wonderful recording engineer from Toronto. He's won three Juno Awards. He's recorded numerous albums, Lurina McKinnon included. And and so we had Jeff come in and set up all these microphones. And we worked with the orchestra. And we worked with Ben Bolt-Martin, the wonderful local cellist from, from Kitchener, that he did arrangements for us. And so we coordinated with Ben to do that. And we just wanted to make it a really um, community-based project. And it was just an amazing opportunity for us to get to take our music uh, and perform for the for the symphony audience, <clears throat> but also to have the opportunity to actually have it or a number of our tunes orchestrated for the symphony and get to hear how that sounds. Um, it was daunting too, but they're 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 very good with us. They actually yes. gave us uh, uh, lots of opportunities to rehearse with them and really get up to speed on sort of what it feels like to play with that many people behind you. And we miss them now, actually. Yeah, yeah, we definitely do it again. And so you the timpani. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, I really enjoyed seeing even or hearing what Ben came up with too mm -hmm. and just taking uh, taking Kate's tune and Errol's tune and another tune set that we'd written up and just putting another spin on it and just really yeah. enriching it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an, it's a really interesting art form to be able to arrange for orchestra and you know the things that he did. I don't I'm not, I'm not speaking for myself, but I think for any of us, I don't know that we would have come to the same path that he came yeah. to and Ben mm -hmm. has Ben's a wonderful, you know, composer and arranger, and he just has his own sound. And I mean, um, that was great. It was it was really wonderful. Yeah, it was to get really to cool to hear way. how he would take something like, for example, the tunes that Kate mm -hmm. and I wrote. Uh, he would take something that you had composed, and then he heard it in a different way, and it kind of mm -hmm. gave it a whole new life. We, you know, it had its life in the bookends, mm -hmm. but then once you put all of the orchestra behind it, it just came alive in a whole another way. Um, that was, yeah. So that was a really awesome experience. Awesome. And you added a fifth member. Tell us about the fellow you brought in from New York. Yeah, so uh, so that's Romano Danilo. He's uh, he's in Stratford here now. His his wife is uh, um, in a production in Kitchener, and uh, they're both percussionists, fantastic percussionists. Um, but Romano was in Come From Away uh, on Broadway uh, for many many years, and he did uh, Wicked before that. So uh, very very incredibly talented uh, gentleman there, and. Uh, and so we had we had met him uh, in town just through some friends because uh, Stratford's an amazing, you know, <laughs> network source of network of, yeah. of amazing people. And and so we kind of got to play in some tunes with Romano and, and uh, he just brings so much to the to the sound. And and so we were like, we, we can't possibly do this gig without him. So yeah. Yeah. great. Yeah, well, let's listen to uh, Greystones now and we'll get the story behind it right after the song. Sure, sure thing. Great.
You're listening to The Stratford Slice with Craig Thompson. Check out our website, thestratfordslice.com, and be sure to subscribe. And now, back to the show. So that was uh, Greystones, composed by Kate Watson. Kate, tell us uh, the background between that, uh, from that wonderful song. How did you come up with that? <clears throat> so it's, it's interesting for me to hear it with that, uh, that much body to it in the way that, that Ben put it together and our, our chance to play it with the orchestra. Because um, that tune, when I composed it, uh, I, I bought a tin whistle when I was visiting my family who were living uh, over in Ireland for a few years. I bought a tin whistle when I landed in Dublin because I was at the time a piano player and I couldn't really bring the piano with me. <laughs> so I picked up a, a tin whistle and we had done this incredible walk um, down in County Wicklow from Bray to Greystones, which is where they were living at the time. Uh, and it had just finished raining because that's kind of the perpetual state of Ireland and the sun had come out and uh, everything just sparkled and the the gorse was there and we were just cresting over this hill and so uh, if you can imagine as you listen to that piece you know I'm hearing the sound of the the seabirds calling and all of that is happening around me and so this very simple melody came to me on the tin whistle uh, and then when I first brought it to the band, I kind of got a little bit overwhelmed when I heard, you know, the, f the three other parts that got added to it. And then, you, I mean, for me to emotionally hold it together, introducing that piece for the night, <laughs> we played it with the orchestra, knowing what was about to happen, um, and just where it had come from a very simple um, beginning, and to where, where they brought it was, was really, really fantastic. And how you and Pete started playing together, you took a tin whistle on a camping trip, was that what happened? That was yeah. That was when Partly. when I started when I started in earnest to to work on the whistle. Um, was that we started camping with the kids and Pete wanted to bring it along. He had this lovely little dulcimer that he would bring along or a guitar, and I kind of wanted to participate in the music. But again, it's it's just as and Miriam can attest to this. Pianos are not as portable <laughs> as you'd like them to be. Uh, and so I started bringing the whistle along, and that's when we started exploring the tune books together and and so trying to dive into so much more of this rich. Uh, traditional music and and all pulling together all of the pieces from the waltzes to the reels and, and that's when I started to really put the time and energy into it. Mm -hmm. Now depending on where you camped you must have been very popular with your campsite <laughs> uh, neighbors. Well there was no bears anywhere. <laughs> no, <laughs> no guy showed up with a fiddle. Nobody showed up with a fiddle hands on his hips. So but it, I mean, it, it, it was an interesting time when Kate decided to do that because I mean <laughs> to be fair the first six months was kind of like can you do that in the other room honey? <laughs> so maybe a couple doors away. Yeah thank you that's perfect. But then as I started to hear more of the tunes it was like they, they really they touched my soul and I have Irish roots my, my grandmother was from County Cork and, and and so I think I come by it naturally my mom said that, that you know there was always music in the house growing up and so you know this music made a lot of sense to me and I and you know I hadn't you know I'd heard some over the years on and off and I'd always thought it was pretty excellent but I'd never really given its due um, and what I did learn really early on was that a lot of the best Irish players play in different tunings. They play in drop D or they play in dadgat and they have these other tunings. And so that was the challenge I set was I'm sort of like, you know, a rock and blues guy from way back. Um, my challenge was like, how do I accompany this the way that should be accompanied, um, you know, with a guitar? And in, in the guitar is even new to the tradition. It's only really been a part of Irish music for about 60 years or so, um, maybe 70. But it's like, you know, so, so I, I really set that challenge. And so 
it was great for me because I got to actually think about my guitar in entirely new way. And now I, I'm kind of starting to forget how to play the other stuff. <laughs> and your background was in punk rock and rock and roll yeah, and the blues. So right, making yeah. the transition to Celtic music was a bit of a late in, later in life kind of uh, journey. Eh? Well, it was it was predicated on really on Kate doing this. I mean, like I said, I'd always heard you know bands like the Pogues or the Waterboys and things. It always made a lot of sense to me, but I'd never gone deep on the traditional music and really kind of what was there. I mean, I have a, a background in the music industry and had worked in record stores, so I kind of knew there was stuff out there and I'd heard some of it, but I'd never really gone deep on it. And it was. Uh, it was an amazing experience and you know and rock and blues and all those those that's all folk music too so I mean they do in many ways come from the same place so it's, it's not that big a jump and if you think about players like like Jimmy Page I mean he's really he really based a lot of what he did on on a lot of that traditional music and so it kind of all comes from the same feel ultimately. Errol you have a bigger background with the uh, fiddle you've toured with some pretty well-known musicians you can tell us a bit about that but tell me where you get the material from that goes in because there's hundreds and hundreds of jigs and uh songs from the celtic tradition thousands. how do you thousands thousands, thousands, exactly. thousands so yeah. how do you decide what uh what to put in your repertoire you have to play the tune and it has to speak to you um you know there's a lot of tunes out there that you'll play once and you're like oh that's nice and i'll probably never play it again <laughs> uh but then you'll <laughs> come across time. this one that's just it, it just grabs you. Well, there's something about it. There's the turn of phrase. There's the feel of it. The the kind of the motif, whatever it might be, just gets a hold of you, and you're like, well, I'll be whistling that tune for the rest of the day, or I'll be, mm -hmm. you know, it'll, it'll be on my mind. So it, they just they kind of come to you rather than the other way around. You 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 go sorting through a lot of them, but uh, but they just they kind of jump out at you. And a lot of them um, that we play uh, have kind of come through various other connections mm -hmm. in music, like. I started touring when I was 12. Uh, I went to Scotland with a group called the Calgary Fiddlers, and uh, we did a, an incredible number of shows, but we got to meet a lot of great traditional musicians, um, primarily Scottish musicians at that point. Um, and, and so we picked up tunes when we went. Um, we were, you know, this whole group of fiddle players, and, and, and so we'd show up at a session, and, you know, they were, it was kind of a bit of a novelty, and so they let us all sit in, and we'd pick up the tunes, and we'd take them home, and so there's, a number of the pieces that we play oh, yeah, that sure. have kind of come from that that I've collected over the years and they stick and if and if it's a good tune it sticks yeah. so. well and then as I mentioned earlier too like I mean once we started to play together and because we weren't really thinking about being a band we were just friends and the kids were friends and it was just lovely to have this music in our house I, I really truly beautiful actually and and I just felt so lucky when this started to happen but we really explored through all of these tune books and there was the one I always think of this one in particular from Kingston Ontario interestingly from the Harpatara which is a pub there and they organized this unbelievable collection of songs with a lot of the history and so you know we'd often find a tune that we'd like to play together and you know we'd certainly Errol said it would kind of stick and then we'd read the backstory and we go wow that's an amazing story that's behind the music too so it's like that kind of added a new dimension to it but we still do that I mean we just did this two days ago right we get together and and uh, and we explored the tune books and we were looking for some new for new Scottish stuff actually for Robbie Burns Day and and uh, we threw out a few and yeah. we found a yeah. handful that we think sound great and some some that we'd played before and hadn't actually got back to and so now because we've been together for six plus years and I just think the connections really strong that we kind of we kind of know if it's gonna if it's gonna click or not right so yeah. yeah now Miriam your instruments the piano but piano is hard to lug around you've mm -hmm. uh, got some skills on the accordion so tell us about that because I think you performed some of the accordion uh, songs on the uh, album yeah I mean I think in a way that was 
the COVID and the local love deliveries too, I couldn't drag a <laughs> piano around. So it was a very quick, I had kind of started playing a little bit. I'd been gifted an old accordion. So, and I had just gotten an actual better one that was in tune. And so, <laughs> so that was my the practice timing. was on off. the- Started with the kids accordion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on the sidewalk in front of people's houses. So it was a steep learning curve and I'm still learning. But it's yeah, it's been really fun. Just you can it adds such, a whole such different a different sound, sound oh, yeah, yeah, than the piano. Yeah, because yeah. it swells so nicely. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was when we were playing around with graystones, and you started on piano, and then when you switched over, and we're like, well, what if what if, what if I did on on accordion? All of a sudden, it had this swell, and it sort of did tweak that moment. It has a sort of orchestral feel because mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. can have all that emotion to it. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, it adds it adds a drone note. And, and there's there's an instrument in traditional Irish music, the illan pipes, which is uh, you basically squeeze it with one arm and and uh, and, and then strangling and a cat. Strangle, strangling <laughs> a cat, you're wrestling an octopus, whatever you want to call it. Very, very challenging instrument. Um, and it has drones on it and Miriam's accordion adds that layer and it and it's just yeah, it works beautifully with the melody instruments and, and so yeah. Well let's talk about the next number, the old grove which you arranged uh, which you composed, actually. Uh, so tell us about the Old Grove and what we're going to hear next. Yeah, so I guess while we're talking about instruments, there's one instrument we've left out here. Uh, <laughs> and it, it That's is not also... We just end here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, like Pete's saying, you know, the guitar is relatively new to Irish music, and the banjo um, is also relatively new to Irish music. Um, and actually, the Irish kind of picked it up off the Americans, if you will. Um, and brought it back uh, to to the Irish traditional music scene. Now it's not like a, a mountain banjo, you know, is five strings typically uh, tuned a specific way. In Irish music, you tend to play an Irish tenor banjo, which is tuned the same as a fiddle, uh, but it gives you that great attack and uh, and a great sound. And and Miriam and I were uh, were over in Ireland, and we popped up to Galway and stopped in and uh, at this great banjo shop uh, and got. I got myself a clarine banjo, which is a, it was, you know, I was kind of saving up for quite a while, and it was a, it was, it was kind of a goal of mine. And uh, so, anyways, I had this banjo, and and you know, I was really getting to know it. And uh, anyways, was taking the kids to school one day, and uh, my daughter had a special field trip, and and I'm I'm not always the best at being on time. I try, but uh, it doesn't always work for me. So, anyways, I was running a little behind that day, and uh, so. I was tearing across town uh, with my daughter and we got to the school and everybody was gone. And so it was this like race to go chase down her school group so that I could get her off and launched on this little field trip. And uh, as I'm doing this, this kind of like, I hate to say it, but banjo music's going through my head and this <laughs> tune is, is just kind of forming in there. And uh, so anyways, I, I got my daughter, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to the rest of the group there and they went off to do their thing and I got home and I was like, I gotta write this out. So I sat down and, and charted it all out, took, I don't know, maybe half an hour by the time it was all said and done to just put it to paper and cause it was just stuck in my head. And I'm like, I gotta I exercise my demons, get this thing out. And uh, and so that's where this tune came from. And uh, and, and it kind of, for me, it, it's evocative of that racing across town and that, you know, there's. There's kind of the highs and the lows of the whole adventure of this, you know, what was actually a five-minute trip in my minivan. But <laughs> <laughs> and it's called the Old Grove. Yeah, and it's called the Old Grove because the field trip she was going on was to the Old Grove uh, here in Stratford. So. Well, let's give it a listen. The awesome. Old Grove by Errol Fisher.
Terrific. Wonderful. So the the uh, the CD is. What are your plans for launching the CD, and how will people get um, access to it? To what study? There yeah. you go, Kate. Um, go ahead. Well You've been doing all the web work, so <laughs> you can talk about that. Um, yeah. So the pre-sale is actually open now, so you can get your pre-order in, and we'll start shipping on the twenty fifth of January, Robbie Burns night. Um, uh, but you'll also have the opportunity for those who are big Robbie Burns fans and big SSO fans, um, they'll be attending uh, this year's concert um, with the Clefs of Moore, uh, and the album will be available for sale in the lobby. So folks who uh, may even have been at that performance last year will have a chance to, to get their, their hands on a copy right away. Um, but you can purchase it on our website, and we'll be making it available for streaming everywhere as well. Right. If you don't have a, a CD player, uh, are you going to be on the streaming platforms? What's the other uh, release? Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, every, everything's on thebookends.ca. So that's the website. And and uh, so if you go to thebookends.ca, you can obviously pre-order a CD. Um, uh, you know, every, every musician, independent musician, loves it if you'll buy a CD because we don't have a lot to sell anymore. But if you just want to have a listen, we've got the tracks on there to listen to, and it'll also be on all of the Spotify's, Amazon's, Apple Music, all of that. Yeah. Where you earn much less per play, right? <laughs> yes. uh, Significantly. Yeah. yeah, but reach a wider audience. Well, and that's that's what's amazing about those platforms is it's it is truly international, and so I many people who wouldn't necessarily ever get a chance to hear us or, or discover us are, are now yeah. discovering us. We online. had eleven Shazams in Tokyo last week. It's kind of <laughs> weird sometimes. <laughs> yeah, the stats are sometimes uh, really strange. Well, and it's kind of funny because in the traditional music scene, it's it's a kind of a you know spread all over the place. That's it's not just you know Ireland, Scotland, the, the places yeah. you would typically think of. There's a huge uh, network and community down in the States. Mm -hmm. And then, it, like, there was a, a Pete's part of the uh, Goderich uh, Celtic Festival, and they had a band come over from Japan this year. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to butcher the name, but Ujizo? Ujizo, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and a Japanese Celtic a, band. A Japanese yeah. Celtic band. Oh, they're really band. good. And, and they're yeah. fantastic. Uh, they're they're great. <laughs> yeah. Do they have any Japanese influence in their music, or there is it straight Celtic? No, it is straight Celtic, but, but they do approach it differently, in the same way that us as North Americans approach it differently, just kind of where the, the beats land. And kind of, there's just something, there's something, there's a slight little you know, something yeah, just a thread a through it, a, a little flavor that you pick up sometimes but yeah, yeah it's it's Great, international. really really, really yeah. nice guys too actually. yeah they yeah. So. now pete you've been in the music industry for a long time on the commercial side That's errol right. you've been obviously working as a musician just give us a sense of what artists have to do to struggle to survive. You, luckily, <laughs> all of you have day jobs, right? So, what <laughs> yeah. is it? What is it like? That's, that's part of it, right? Yeah. You know, I guess most musicians these days probably have to have a day job to survive, or they're not able to pursue being a musician, and that's and that's tragic. Um, uh, I mean, in Canada, we're lucky that we do have a grant system. We did actually get a grant in order to do this record from the Ontario Arts Council, which was great. So the, the, the you know the, there is government support. Um, but, I mean, you know, like I said a minute ago, is, I mean, you know, CDs are definitely a thing of the past. It's a thing that we can sell. I, I was having a, a really interesting conversation with the guy who's manufacturing it. It's a company in Toronto that's manufacturing our CD for us. And I said, you know, we sometimes have this conversation in the band about, like, why do we still sell CDs? But what could we sell if we don't sell a CD? You know, and we've got T-shirts, but, I mean, T-shirt isn't the music. And, you know, people who want to support the band still do that. And I think all of us, and I can speak for all of us, we go to see other musicians that we like, and we buy their CD. You know, we bring it home, it goes on a shelf. I, mean, I, I have to dig to find a CD player now. But I do feel like that's at least a way to support the band and say, hey, I, I, I hear you, I support you, I really like what you're doing, I'm going to pick up your record. 
I'm going to probably listen to it on Spotify or Tidal. Which is great too. But, but that's fine. Yeah, no, and that's and something so, tangible. But it's something tangible. Hand, yeah. yeah, and so, and I mean, and I think that, you know, musicians, you know, we're going to have to probably get creative. I don't know that we need to keep making the discs, but if you don't give them something, you know, even it's just like we've talked before about, you know, do, we were talking yesterday, yeah. in fact, about do we just make like album covers because people love vinyl, but, you know, because vinyl is so expensive to manufacture. So it's like, well, maybe, you know, if we just do like a big thing that's sort of five or ten bucks that you can buy and then you can just go and listen to it. Mm-hmm. But it's still a little bit, it's kind of anticlimactic, right, to, yeah. to have that done like that. And so you don't you don't want to... You don't want to. You don't want to give a, a a bad experience, and so it's it's. Uh, I don't have the answer. It's I a real challenge. Yeah, it's a real challenge. I don't, I don't right have now. the answer. Yeah, there's been so many changes from, yeah. from vinyl to what we're at now, and now vinyl is coming back. Who knows? Maybe CDs may, well, may come back. So uh, you joke, future. but CDs are coming back. Yeah. I just read an article the other day. Today. I think it was New yeah. York Times about that 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 millennials and Gen Zs they're they're actually going into their parents' CD collections. And this is like a new retro thing to do. And it's like, isn't it ironic? And yeah. they'll, they'll have Discmans, right? So, you know, it's, uh, that's, that is part of it. Yeah. There's one thing great about uh, Stratford. It seems to attract a lot of, whether it's uh, because of people who were here before. Let's talk about Stratford for a minute, about being this arts and culture uh, hub. It, it seems to inspire a lot of creativity and we talked about the pandemic there have been a lot of things coming out of the woodwork during the pandemic theater companies and all sorts of things like that do you think stratford is uniquely positioned because we're an arts uh, town what is it about that about that well as an outsider if i will coming to stratford um you know calgary's a city of a million people stratford 30 something thousand it was it was a bit daunting to come here and then but when we got here the depth of the people that we met and all of the talents and, and you know, like world famous mm-hmm. actors and, and musicians and, and like some incredible folks are here. And so it's just, it's unbelievable how many great people are here. And I think that when when people come to town, they meet other great musicians and artists and, and, and it that kind of helps helps them stick in the community. And, and it's kind of like, you know, like, like with like yeah Yeah. and fuels more creative artistic expression absolutely and and there's also lots of people in retail and things through downtown where they 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 support that as well and so it's like so it's just as a community um you know the bedrock is there too so i mean you've got the talent you've got the people that are you know performing all these different arts like Errol said but there's also all these people that are just huge supporters um that just want to see that that's something that 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 stratford can really hang its hat on and can really define itself by and so um it's it's pretty fabulous well, perhaps that's one thing the pandemic taught us to to rely on a sense of community. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah, it brought the community back yeah. together, and that's why we kind of went with down the local love road <laughs> yeah. there. Originally, you know, we could have not done that. We could have just you know waited it out and 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 all the rest of it. But we, we amongst the four of us, were like, you know what, this is this is something Perfect. good. We should go do this because that's what's missing right now was that sense of community at that time because everything was feeling so isolated. And, and it was something that we were really missing uh, from it as well. So it was just mm-hmm. another way of, and, and it's that support, you know, like supporting your neighbors, supporting the community you're in. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah. So once this CD uh, gains the traction you want, what, what, are, what are your next plans? Are there more tours, another CD? What uh, have you got in, the, uh, in store for the next year or so? So, so we've, we've already been into the studio in London and we've recorded the bed tracks for chapter two. 
um, which, you know, knocking on wood, well, that's kind of loud, but, <laughs> <laughs> but knocking on wood is that it will come out this sometime this year. Uh, we'd love to see it out by the summer, even if we can do that. And so that's the next big project from a recording perspective. And then, you know, we're always picking up gigs and because the, our kids are getting a little bit older, um, we're able, we feel like we can get a little bit further afield now. And so, you know, we had been very, very confined, not confined, but we were very much always in Stratford and, and that's been amazing, like we've said, but, you know, we'd like to take it to other places. And so we, we, we played out in Grand Bend at the end of October, which was was a lot of fun. Um, we're playing at the at the Cuckoo's Nest Folk Club in London in March, March 12th. And then on March 17th, we've got a fantastic gig in downtown Toronto at the Rec Room, which is at the base of the CN Tower, which is the, it's it's a in huge place. Actually, it's the Roundhouse where Steam Whistle is. It's the, oh, up, the, brewery, the other yeah, end. Yeah. Of, the other end of it is called okay. the Rec Room. And it's a five or 600 person auditorium and we're headlining in there. So, so you know, there's things that are just starting to expand for us in terms of where we can play and, and the people we can play for. And, and there's, there's a number of other things that are being worked on right now as well. So, um, you and know, you're doing the Godrich thing this summer? We're not currently, oh, no. no. You're no, involved I, I, with that. I'm on the board of directors right. for that. We yeah. did Godrich in 2020. Yeah, we, yeah, uh, yeah. 2021, yeah, yeah. And so, so in 2021, we did their online festival. Right. We kind of headlined the Friday night on that, which was actually a lot of fun. Oddly, we had a great time because we did the we did like a live cut in kind of like yeah. this, yeah. but from our back garden, um, <laughs> and, and we went to Godrich and recorded all everything on the uh, at the old train station there called Station. Yes. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and so um, we got to go back though and do it like. Live. Proper, yeah, yeah proper, and, and, proper. and we will. Yeah, yeah we will. Yeah. Um, As everything opens up again. Yeah. Well, I love your music. I love Celtic music. My whole background is uh, from Ireland, so it, it speaks to me. <laughs> and okay. uh, we should end uh, this podcast with some more music. I'm going to butcher this name, but Waving to Murian? Murins. Murins. Waving to Murins. 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 Yeah. Tell so me close. about the, uh, that. Uh, this uh, it's two tunes, humors of trim, and Murin's jig. That's right. Do you want to tell them both? Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know where we've yeah, got. Yeah, so humors of trim is, is, is yeah. a lot of these tunes all have multiple names, so we've kind of picked the one we like. Uh, well, we often do these, are, these are traditional. <laughs> these are yeah. 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 The, the well, first one, is, one, the first one yeah. is traditional. Uh, humors of trim is also known as the rolling wave. The rolling wave. Uh, and then the second tune is a tune that was is fairly contemporary. It was written by uh, Neil Vallelli. He's uh, one of the many Vallelli brothers, um, and they're actually their parents uh, started this club to bring help bring traditional music back in Ireland called the Armagh Pipers Club, mm -hmm. and uh, and the Vallelis were kind of the, the the spark behind that whole mm -hmm. thing, and so Neil. Uh, fantastic concertina player. Uh, all the Vallelis are incredible trad musicians in their own right, but he wrote that uh, that tune. So, well, let's throw out your website. How can people find out more about the bookends? Yeah, so the the, the bookends.ca is is a great place to start and find everything there. We, and obviously, we're on social media, and so it's the bookends at the bookends Celtic is is Instagram, Facebook. So one of you introduced the the songs we're going to go out, and thanks so much for being part of the podcast today who's going to do the honors well well thanks for having us craig yeah, and on you. behalf of the bookends uh, this is waving to marins
You've been listening to The Stratford Slice with Craig Thompson. For more episodes, check out our website, thestratfordslice.com, and be sure to subscribe. The Stratford Slice is produced by Ballinran Entertainment, Southwestern Ontario's number one digital media studio. If you have a great story to tell and want to be on the podcast, please reach out to us through our website, thestratfordslice.com. <laughs>